The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to another edition of the postseason recap podcast series that we're doing here at Over the Monster. Uh, I'll be your host tonight, Keaton Grosher, joined by Bob Osgood. And uh, man, Bob, what a game we had on hand tonight. Unbelievable. I can't think of many games in baseball history that have had that many ups and downs with quirkiness, excitement. Um, just so many crazy things that happened. Uh, just an incredible game, and I don't even know where we should start, so I'm leaving that up to you tonight, Keaton. <laughs> yeah, well, let's start at the beginning. Uh, Nathan Evaldi versus Drew Rasmussen, the pitching matchup here in this game. Drew Rasmussen 4-0 against the Red Sox coming into this. Uh, Nathan Evaldi has pitched very well against Tampa and at home. And right off the bat, three batters in, it's a 2-0 lead uh, for Tampa. Uh, Evaldi ends up striking out all three outs in the first after giving up two runs. With Tampa jumping out to a two-run lead that early, what was going through your head at that time? Not a whole lot because I had seen the way things played out in game two, and uh, I thought Evaldi looked great. I thought he left a cutter kind of on the inner half to Meadows and you know, probably wanted to get it a little more in. But other than that, I mean, he had struck out six guys through two innings. Um that Zanino at bat in the second with the 12 pitches, which, which ended in a strikeout, but he really had to labor through that. And that was probably the difference between getting him through five innings and maybe six. But, um, you know, I thought the bats would come alive, especially at Fenway um, in front of that crowd. And the way that Evaldi looked, I wasn't too concerned. And, um, you know, Rasmussen struggled and we talked before the series just about their starting pitcher inexperience and 
you saw it with Baz and you saw it with Rasmussen a little bit. Neither of them able to get out of the third. Yeah, Rasmussen's final line, two innings pitch, six hits, three earned runs as the Red Sox were able to take the lead in the third. Uh, Schwarber in the bottom of the first hit a home run. Uh, and then Kike Hernandez endeavors both with a couple RBIs in the third to give the Red Sox the lead. Uh, Evaldi from there just kept cruising. Those two runs, the only damage done to him. He only gave up three total hits, one walk, eight strikeouts in five innings. Evaldi has just, I mean, he's really been the ace of the team this year, right? It's just, you always feel confident and he's always putting out just more often than not, very quality outings. Yeah, and his splitter was unbelievable. Um, Just getting a a ton of whiffs. He was keeping the ball down against some really tough hitters and all of them thinking that it was a fastball and it was darting out of the zone. Um, That pitch was huge for him tonight. And yeah, he did exactly what... He's done a lot of the year. I mean, he pitched deep into a game that they needed him to do that. Um, you know, not like the Red Sox bullpen, as we'll talk about, is completely set up for tomorrow, but it's better than the other teams because he was able to get through five. Yeah, it certainly was. Uh, after uh, five, the Red Sox took a 4-2 lead. Kike Hernandez stayed just wildly hot this series, now batting 500 uh, after he launched a solo shot into the monster seats and uh, the Red Sox took a four, two lead um, following Evaldi, Josh Taylor came in to pitch two thirds of an inning, gave up a hit. And then Ryan Brazier finished off the sixth Austin Davis, your man uh, came in <laughs> to start the seventh, um, seventh, eighth. He Matt came in in the oh, seventh, Brazier, finished sorry. the seventh, right? Yeah. Brazier pitched uh, an inning. And then, yeah, he finished the seventh. Uh, then in the eighth, Hansel Robles came on. Uh, two-thirds of an inning, gave up three hits, two runs, only one strikeout. That allowed Tampa to tie the game. And then he left due to a stomach ailment. Um, that was the note from Cora as he was uh, escorted off by the trainer. Ended up throwing up when he got into the dugout. And um, I was certainly there with him with that queasy stomach. So, I, you know, don't blame yeah. him. Yeah, I, I probably uh, would have been sick after those three hits as well. Yeah, and Whitlock finished the eighth and then pitched a clean ninth. Uh, one walk, three strikeouts in his inning and a third. And then Nick Pavetta with another bailout relief performance going four shutout innings. Uh, three hits, one walk, seven strikeouts. Talk about Nick Pavetta real quick. Yeah, so we'll work backwards. I mean, I think probably unless he was going one inning, you know, once Cora committed to Pavetta to start the 10th inning there, his thought was, I'm going to pitch this guy until the end of the game. You know, reminded me of uh, of Ivaldi in the Dodgers game in the World Series, right? It's like, all right, this is your game to yeah. finish one way or another. And, I mean, he was amped beyond his behavior. I mean, he had a, a Deion Sanders high step off of the mound after one of the innings. <laughs> um, and it seemed like he was throwing a tick or two more than than he usually does. I mean, he was, I've kind of felt like all year, you know, he's got a little extra edge to him, the way that he talked about, you know, being a better pitcher than DeGrom, or at least like in his head tells him that. Like, I mean, he is so super competitive and, and overhyped at a lot of times. And I mean, this was the spot for him. Um, 73 pitches and what, two days rest, right? Through another 67. I mean, yeah. you would have no idea that he had was pitching on two days rest. He looked 
incredible. Um, you know, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about it. Could have given up a run possibly there in the 13th, but <laughs> yeah. uh, the three innings before that, just absolutely flawless. Yeah, and right before we get to that, but before we started talking, you were kind of alluding to uh, some of the the bullpen arms that Cora turned to. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk about pulling Evaldi in the fifth and, and kind of where your, your thought process was with that? Sure, yeah. So I thought that once uh, Kike Hernandez homered going into the sixth inning, once they were up by two runs, that I thought Evaldi might get a shot to start the sixth because he had that two-run cushion. Um, it was Austin Meadows, I think, that was leading off the sixth inning, and he went to Taylor um, because there were going to be two out of three lefties. I kind of wanted Evaldi to start that inning. It's hard to question Cora ever with the bullpen, but I would have wanted to see a little more. Um, and then two with uh, Robles in the eighth, I, you know, revisionist history, but I can swear I said going into that inning, I really wanted to see Whitlock for two there. Um, you know, I know Robles has been great for 15 or 16 outings, but uh, I don't know. I, I wanted two innings of Whitlock in a similar way to the way they've used Tanner Houck. Yeah, I... I think I'm with you there. If Aldi was at 85 pitches at the time, it feels like letting him start it and having someone in the chamber in case he ran into to trouble Shortly, made sense. Yep. Um, but I'm kind of with you there. It's hard to obviously, you know, look back and be like, no, he definitely should have got the sixth because um, obviously it, you know, it worked out. And then on Robles, if he really is, uh, you know, ill, like uh, I imagine they're not making that up. <laughs> no, talking about him throwing up. It's kind of hard to throw this one against him, uh, hold this one against him, right? And just kind of assume that when healthy, he's going to continue that that dominant run. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't he didn't walk anybody, and he was throwing, I think, 97-98. So yeah. just left a couple balls out over the plate that got crushed. And, um, yeah, I mean, they're going to go back to him. They need to trust him. He is pitched in Veskersion, call him high leverage Hansel. <laughs> yeah he did <laughs> what was that um he's been pitching in high leverage for five or six weeks now so we're gonna see him there again and they're gonna need him so uh you know hopefully he's all right yeah and then uh moving on to the turning point there in the 13th which may uh i mean obviously turning point of the game may end up being the turning point um of the series maybe even the red Sox and Rays seasons um as we look forward to the rest Runner on first, and uh, Kevin Kiermaier laces one to right off the wall and then off Renfro and out for a ground rule double. Um, <laughs> I mean, that obviously it saves a run, um, and there's a million different ways to analyze this. Uh, Zanino, the next batter, Pavetta strikes out. So, uh, you know, there's you could say the if they scored the run, Vasquez still hit a two-run homer, so they win 6-5. to five. But kind of when those situations happen, it's really hard to say which way momentum is going to go, what's going to happen next, if every, right. assuming everything plays out uh, the same. But what I just – just I guess what's your reaction to that? What's your reaction to that play? <laughs> and and what were you thinking in the moment? And now that we've had a little bit of time to come down from it, um, yeah. I just – I think kind thoughts. of like – sure. I, I think – um, it's obviously an incredible break. No one's going to argue otherwise. It was an unprecedented break that happened, and it was a play that I've never seen in my life, and I haven't heard of anyone seeing before, right? But my first thought was, you know, 
balls go off of outfielders and into the crowd for home runs all the time. This ball just happened to be in play and bounced and went off the player and into the crowd. It's not like he intentionally threw it in or intentionally batted it into the crowd. I thought it was going to be a ground rule double. And Vaskirgin's talking about uh, umpire discretion and stuff like that. And that applies to fan interference. That doesn't ever apply to a ground rule double, right? So I didn't see it going that way unless there was some goofy rule in the rule book that I had never seen or heard of before. I thought it was going to be a ground rule double. And if there are any Rays fans that are complaining, I mean, you play in a stadium where you can hit a home run off of a catwalk, you can catch a fly ball that hits a roof. Um, I'm not going to feel too bad about the quirkiness of Fenway there and the result of a play. So I don't know. What, what was your initial reaction there? Yeah, so the umpire's discretion does happen on a, um, on a ground rule double. Uh, I can remember times with the Red Sox where that's come into play where a guy's been rounding second and given an extra base uh, based on like ground rule doubles and things that have happened. I feel like one of them, one of them I think I remember over, though. Well, I was say one of them I think I remember at the trop because it took like a, a weird massive bounce off that concrete surface and it was just it took a long time for it to get over the fence for a ground rule double and that that allowed I mean, this is going back a while. I think it honestly might have been Gabe Kapler <laughs> like, that far back, and it allowed him to get an extra base because I was like, wait, I don't understand what's going on here. So I thought it was going to be a ground rule double. They put Kiermaier back on second, and the run still scored. That's kind of what I was expecting, but okay. it didn't seem like the way that they gave it, it was uh, it was everybody got exactly two bases, and it didn't seem like that, that occurred in that situation. But it was just one of those weird things where Renfro didn't mean to misplay it. He just misplayed it. And right. And went over yeah, the he didn't fence throw and... it in the crowd, and if he did, it would have been ruled differently. <laughs> right. Yeah. So that it's just one of those weird things. Um, I know uh, we, we've given a little bit of time to uh, since the end of the game to record this, so we've been able to watch some things on Twitter, and that's basically the umpires um, gave a press conference, and that's that's exactly what they said was it was just two bases from the hit because it was misplayed. There wasn't any kind of uh, possession of the ball. Just. Yeah, he just biffed it. <laughs> so right. it was two bases from where they were at the start of the at-bat. So um, just one of those weird things, you know? It's kind of like hitting a catwalk and getting a home run. It's just yeah. one of those things. Yeah, except we'll see that again. I don't know if we'll ever see that play <laughs> that happened again. Good point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, then uh, that kind of led us into the bottom of the 13th where – uh, Christian Vasquez, who hadn't started the game, came in. Um, I don't actually remember at which point he came in, but uh, Pulecki had had two at-bats at that point. I believe that was probably when Nivaldi got pulled in the sixth, then Vasquez came in. Yep. Um, and the man who was just really only hits clutch home runs just added to his tally on a first-pitch swinging two-run bomb to walk it off for the Red Sox. Yeah, I mean, th there were a couple of points that I thought were potential walk-offs. Uh, you know, Dahlbeck had a big at-bat. I think the inning before that, when they were in that, Martin I mean, Martinez hit some balls hard today. Oh, uh, so hard. A couple balls oh. to the track and the wall. And, you know, for a second you thought, you know, he's got that opposite field power and they might be out and they'd be caught five feet short. Um, yeah. So there was a couple of Martinez at bats too that I thought might have been the end of the game. But then, you know, you have it in the back of your head that all of Vasquez's hits are huge. You know, his stats don't always back up how big uh, some of the walk-off homers and big hits that he's gotten over the years. And I think this was the biggest of all of them. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and you're right. I twice I thought JD Martinez had walked it off, and my heart just kind of like exploded yeah. a bit. But all of that leads up to a six-four Red Sox walk-off win in the bottom of the thirteenth, and a two-to-one series lead as we go into Game Four tomorrow. So now let's uh, uh, actually, I guess. Any final thoughts on, on the game tonight before we do a little look ahead to tomorrow? Yeah, I got a, a couple others. I thought it was interesting the way that Tampa Bay managed their bullpen. Uh, going to Kittredge in the third inning was fascinating to me. I mean, he has saved more games than anyone else in that bullpen. He might be their best reliever. Um, but along with that, we talked about just each of those guys had ERAs between like one and a half and two and a half. And they brought all of them in for between one and two innings, and they were all great. Everybody after Rasmussen all the way to Patino, who was kind of in a tough situation. First postseason game of his career in extra innings at Fenway. Um, that was rough for him to come into. He didn't have any time to really prepare for that moment like some of those starters had. Um, but yeah, I mean, they started managing the game like it was the, the chance that it was going to end right there going to Kittredge in the third inning. Um, I didn't know what you thought about how they how they manage that bullpen, and it seems as if they're just going to need to use every single one of those guys again tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, we've seen this with the Red Sox, but this is what happens when you don't get a lot from your starters in back-to-back days. These guys now have really built up their usage. They really tried to avoid going to Patino, uh, but eventually had to go with him because the game just kept going. So now it looks like he may not be available tomorrow, and they may be just kind of hashing things together with um, Waka or um, who was the other person that we just started? Uh, McHugh as a sure. uh, opener and he'll go a couple innings, then they'll just kind of piece the rest together. But uh, honestly, the Red Sox are kind of doing the same thing uh, going into tomorrow. But before we get to that, yeah, I I don't think I was necessarily surprised about Kittreds. I mean, they just have, like you said, they have so many good relievers that are really just kind of, it doesn't surprise me when someone comes in because it's all matchup based. It's not necessarily skill set based because their their bullpen is so good. Sure, but the fact that the Red Sox were able to then just eventually kind of wear them down, um, you know, they were able to get hits off guys here and there and and make some things happen, and then uh, you know even extend it to force them to use Patino to take him off the, the table to, for tomorrow, or maybe just limit him to um, like an inning or two because he I don't believe he ended up throwing a whole lot of pitches. His first inning went very quickly. Um, just trying to quickly scan for that. Fifteen pitches for Patino, so he he actually sure. honestly might be available tomorrow, just not yeah. in the in a long term capacity. So, yeah, I mean, at, at you're on the road. It's a tie series, really. Whoever kind of gets the win here, it has all the momentum. So you're just throwing everybody at the wall uh, and just trying to hold the Red Sox, you know, to not scoring any runs. So I'm not I'm not terribly surprised just because of the how they can mix, mix and match their bullpen, but yeah. it does just kind of leave both teams in an interesting position heading into tomorrow. A couple other things. I thought the the home plate umpire was phenomenal tonight. I believe it was Sam Holbrook, who is the crew chief, and I, I can't remember more than one or two pitches that he missed the whole night and kind of noticed that in a lot of the playoff games. You know, you've got the good umpires um, that are all on these four series, and I, I thought that the just in general he was great behind the plate tonight. Um, I thought, I'm trying to think of what else, the, just the guts on Wander Franco in the 11th inning, the play that he made on Kike, where he went into the hole, 
you know, he makes a bad throw, that game is over. And then you got Luplo at first, who if he messes up the scoop, the game is over. And they made a perfect play in a, just a do-or-die situation in the 11th. I mean, just the more you watch Franco, the more you understand why he's got 70 and 80 grades on his complete game out there. So, um, you know, just a, a couple other thoughts there. Yeah. So now looking ahead to tomorrow, uh, Alex Cora said tonight that most likely we're looking at Eduardo Rodriguez on three days rest uh, to start for the Red Sox. I have been rapidly refreshing Twitter trying to find who's going to start uh, for Tampa, but I think we're on to something thinking it's probably going to be McHugh or someone for just one or two innings and then everything kind of be patchworked together. So it's probably not going to matter who starts because we'll see everybody um, as it is their backs against the wall elimination day. So everyone's going to be available. Um, So after that was announced, I was curious uh, how many times has Eduardo Rodriguez pitched on three days rest and what do his numbers look like? And I was not disappointed. Um, Eduardo Rodriguez has pitched once on three days rest and his line was uh, he got the win six innings pitched one hit five walks, seven strikeouts. (laughs) Wow. So, I mean, it's a pretty wild line, but I mean, if it leads to only, you know, no runs and a win, I'll take it. Yeah. And, um, I'm sure whenever he did that, he hadn't thrown 41 pitches in the previous outing. Right. So hopefully he's a, yeah. got a little extra juice cause he didn't go very deep into that game the other day. Yeah. And another ter- thing, sorry, go ahead. It is, uh, it's. A marathon Monday for the Red Sox, and we're hoping that they're wearing the, at least I am, I guess I shouldn't speak for you, I'm hoping they're wearing the yellow jerseys, but it just feels so great again to have Red Sox baseball at home on marathon Monday. It kind of feels like that might just be, uh, you know, give hopefully all of Boston a little bit of boost heading into that game later in the evening. Yeah, when I saw that that game four was on Monday in my head, I was like, just don't let it be a sweep. You know, one way or another, I think that's (laughs) going to just be an iconic moment, um, having the marathon and then having, you know, I was thinking maybe like four o'clock would be the sweet spot of everybody making their way over from from the race tomorrow, but seven will be fine as well. I think it's going to be an electric crowd. Um, I think it's more likely than not that they wear the yellow, but (laughs) who knows? But, oh God, it's going to be... It's going to be wild in there for sure. And, yep. um, you know, I, I think it was – you didn't see anyone leave today. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was five, five and a half hours in, and uh, everybody was still there, and they had stopped selling beer six innings before that, and people still stayed. So I think that's a good sign for tomorrow. Yep, exactly. So that will kind of wrap it up for this edition of the recap. We will again be with you uh tomorrow after the game uh some form of host will be there to recap the game and uh you know try not to look forward but hoping for some good news we'll uh we'll let let you go thanks for listening